I think for me, if, if I were to sum up my journey, it's that. It's always these unexpected turns that um, someone near me or close to me can see something in myself that I can't see and, and shove me into a thing that I feel ill-equipped to, to partake of. And, and that's really my whole journey. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests are two Christian music artists trying their best to follow wherever God leads them to create, even if they end up somewhere unexpected. David Crowder and Francesca Battistelli. First up, while David Crowder was still a student at Baylor University in 1996, he and a few of his friends formed popular Christian rock and modern worship group, the David Crowder Band. The group went on to win numerous Gospel Music Association Dove Awards and were nominated for a Grammy. After 16 years together and just having released the number two album in the world behind Adele, the band decided to part ways. Crowder went on to perform as a solo artist and has just released a new album called I Know a Ghost. Today, David shares how his parents and growing up in church shaped his faith and how, through his latest album, he came to recognize the power of God's Spirit living inside each of us. My name is David Crowder. I um, make music under the artist named Crowder, which is just my last name. And I've been making church music since I was a part of a church start uh, when I went to school at Baylor University. And, and um, that's what leads me to get to talk to wonderful people like you, is uh, making this music that I feel like God's just breathing through me for the church to sing and um, respond to Him through. So that's what I'm up to right now. I grew up in Texarkana, Texas, and uh, it's a unique it's a unique geographic location. It's split in two. Half of us in Texas, half of us in Arkansas. And uh, I like to say I barely made it in our fine republic of Texas. I made it on the Texas side simply because Wadley Hospital is located uh, off State Line Avenue on the Texas side of things. And, and um, it was great. It was a small town. Everybody knew each other. Um, I have a younger brother by five years. His name's Steven. He goes by Steve. And uh, my mom and dad are amazing people. Like, if there's anybody that's had a, an influence on my life that's been formative and lasting, it was definitely my parents and, and our family environment. Uh, one of those things where we would, you know, at, at, after we'd eat dinner together and, um, and then afterwards we'd, we'd all sit, sit around the table. My dad would read Bible stories. There, these, there was a series of, of books that were, they were blue and they were called, they just titled Bible stories. And he would, you know, start at the beginning of, of the first one and we'd go through the whole series and then he'd start back over and that was just what we did. Every night we'd eat dinner together and then he'd read from the, the blue books. And um, I loved it. Uh, um, it was the best when we'd have friends like stay over and they don't know what to expect. One, we're eating, eating dinner as a family. That's weird. And then uh, two, afterwards, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, what's going on? We don't get to go play yet? It's like, no, we're going to read Bible stories together. So that was pretty cool. Uh, my friends wound up, you know, after freaking out about it, they were like, man, this is like the coolest environment ever. And I would agree with them. It was really amazing. But I'd say early on, I didn't see anything ministry-oriented for me in that moment and growing up. I wanted to work for my dad's what I wanted to do. Uh, I thought he had the coolest job as an insurance agent, and he was an independent insurance agent in Texarkana. And I just thought he was the coolest dude ever. He had that office with the wood paneling and the wallpaper that was like a forest scene, and it just looked so peaceful. He had the cool phone that had like the, the shoulder holder where you could like just, you know, be, be working on the computer, giving some quotes, giving some car quotes, and, and still doing business, you know? I was like, I wanna be that guy. And uh, I was giving, I was giving car quotes at probably age 11, which is illegal, but, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken a 
you know, you could tell it's 11 year old on the phone, but they, they say just kind of letting me play along with the idea of being the boss man. But uh, I wanted to do that. I really did. So parents being really devout in faith um, at age seven is when I made my profession of, of faith. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty funny story. At least I think it is. We were, um, my dad, my dad was pretty intense and authoritarian. And, and he was really insistent that neither me or my brother would make a profession of faith until we understood what we were doing. And so uh, he had dropped us off at age seven. He drops us off, we go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He drops us off at the children's church and the adults go do adult things in the big church that we can't go to. And so all those kids are over here hanging out and there's this dude on stage and he's got this purple puppet named Eugene. And so he's talking to the, to the purple puppet and he's asking the purple puppet Eugene if he wants Jesus in his heart. Believe it or not, the puppet was, he acquiesced, said, yes, I do. I want Jesus in my heart. So all of us kids, you know, we're like, well, I want what Eugene's got. So, we're, you know, I'm running down front, super excited. And I get in the car to go back to the hotel and I'm like, uh-oh, I, you know, I didn't run this by dad before we did it. So I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. And by the time we're almost at the hotel, my mom's turning around like, what's wrong, David? And I start crying and I'm like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I asked Jesus into my heart tonight. <laughs> and then start talking about a purple puppet named Eugene. They were a little confused, but however grateful, they were super excited. And, uh, but that's how, that's how I, I uh, made my first, I like to say I made my first uh, uh, announcement of following Jesus uh, with the potential, I was, I was under duress. I had the potential of violence <laughs> coming and directed towards me from my father, but still I, I, I was able to. So I feel like I'm in a long line of, of uh, you know, the saints, the communion of the saints, I feel very in tune with. Um, and, and But like I said, my parents were super happy, but don't underestimate the power of puppetry. I'll tell you the best thing happened was when finally I got in like youth group age in middle school, where I got to work a puppet, like we did puppet ministry. We'd go around town to different places and we would do like a puppet show. And the main thing you need to know about puppetry is you only want to move the thumb like you don't move both, don't do the puppet. Like that's not that's not proper technique. You got just the, just the thumb because nobody talk nobody talks like that. You know you got just just the just the chin's got to move. So I, that was like a special moment as I'm growing up in the church setting. I was was getting to finally do the puppets, and I finally got to meet Eugene the puppet. This is this moment. Like years later, like I'm I'm already playing music, doing what I'm doing now, and we're at this church in in Oklahoma outside of Tulsa. It's called Church on the Move, and. Um, I don't know what's happening. I'm playing, Ricky Skaggs, is a, he's a country artist. He's playing there and we're playing there. And I don't know what's happening yet. I've heard the guy, it's a pastor's name, and I'm thinking, that sounds familiar. And at some point it dawns on me, no, that's the dude with the purple puppet. And so after the deal, we're done playing, I tell the guy, I'm like, his name's Willie George. I go, Pastor George. I was seven years old in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Children's Church, and I made my profession of faith when Eugene was, he goes, do you want to meet Eugene? I'm like, uh-uh, for real? And he's like, yeah, he's in my office. I'm like, are you kidding? You got to be kidding me. He's like, no, you can go. And so I went into his office, and sure enough, he opens the case, and there's Eugene laying lifeless in his case. And I had the courage to reach down and like just touch him on the, it's not a, he doesn't have a nose, so it's just like whatever a nose, non-puppet nose is. Touched him right there as, as enough. I was like, you need to put Eugene away. It's kind of freaking me out a little bit. He says, man, there's like four other ones, dude. You can have one if you want. I'm like, no, I don't want Eugene. You keep Eugene, keep him safe, locked in that case, and that's the last I need to see him. So I got to meet Eugene. That was a special moment. As a kid, um, the only musical thing that was really, my family wasn't a musical family, 
but we did have a piano in the house. And so when I was really, really early on, like, you know, a little toddler, I don't know what age you could start walking, but as soon as you start walking, you'd find all the things that make noise in the house. The piano was like super prime for noise making. And so as soon as I could reach the keys, you know, I'm banging on that stuff, you know, don't touch it, especially if you say don't touch it. Well, that's where you find, you're going to wherever you can't touch and you're going to make where the noise is. And so I started banging on the piano as soon as I could reach it. And then my mom at some point was like, uh-oh, I kind of recognize some of these, these tunes. And uh, apparently I was picking out some melodies that were recognizable and, and she's like, we gotta get the kid lessons. So she was shoving me off to piano lessons as a little kid. I did not like it at all. I hated every second of it and fought it as much as I could. But thank goodness, again, mom knew best and could see something that I couldn't have seen and didn't know would be important down the road. And I went off to school uh, at, at Baylor to study music uh, because I thought it sounded fun. I thought music's fun, everybody loves music. I'll get like a little music degree because it's fun. And then I'll go pass the instrument. I had that nepotistic hookup. So as long as I pass the instrument exam, I'm solid, you know, and I got that hookup. So music is not fun. <laughs> it is hard work. It is like super hard work. And so there were hours and hours in the practice room uh, at Baylor University. And it was my junior year of uh, uh, school there that a church started that was really geared and aimed towards college kids. And um, it came from Baylor doing a survey of their student population. Baylor's a Christian university in the South and uh, in the Bible Belt. And they, they found that over half their students never stepped foot in church their entire stay at school. And I, having grown up in the church, being away from home, I fell in that demographic because I was having a, I would suggest a very stereotypical college experience where I'm sorting through what of this belief that I belief system that I grew up in am I going to hang on to and, and claim as my own and and what uh, was just a, a, a result of my environment and cultural setting all that stuff that you're you know you've got a lot of ideas going up against each other when you're in that, that college university moment and this thing this guy started this church and he says man I want you to do the music for it I'm like that is like the worst idea. That is like a bad idea. That's like not, I'm not your guy. That's like a terrible idea. And he just really believed in me and thought, no, I think this is, I think this is one, a re-entry point for you um, to reclaim uh, a lot of your faith that you've, you've, I had a lot of baggage and it was mostly attached to the institutional experience of church that I'd had growing up in it and getting to see it up close. And um, it turned into a place where I was able to um, use my gifts that he could see in me and um, let them come to life in a way that I hadn't, they hadn't come to life uh, before, and as well as set down a lot of this baggage I had and reconnect to, to Jesus in a way that, that um, fit the way He made me and, and, uh, so, and still be a part of a community. And um, so that's really how I got on this journey. What I was doing was on the front end, really repackaging hymns because it was terrifying for me to be in this position because I'm like I'm ill-equipped and unqualified to be doing this and when you're when you're putting music with the ideas that the, the ways that we think about God and one another and our relationship with the divine as humans that are um, there's there's a there's a big gap to span and when you're using music attached to uh, formation uh, it's it's sneaky music's sneaky and it can I, we can put words in our mouths that are, can be detrimental to our understanding of God. And so I was terrified of that. And so I thought, well, 
the hymns have been fully vetted, and these are they're good songs. One, the reason they're still around. I mean, there were there were you know thousands and thousands of hymns that were written at this time, but we've we've narrowed it down to this what's in this you know few books that we've agreed upon, and and so I thought, okay, we can start here and find um, find find stuff that we know we're we're forming ourselves as we're singing in a way that's that's healthy and good, and and will be we it, it will be. Um, good for our devotional selves as a community. And, and um, it wasn't until about a year in that I started writing, and, and that was when we had a good team of people that were already a part of picking the songs, making sure that the service had like an arc to it, that we were telling a story, not just through the, the message that was coming, but, but as well as the experience walking in to the music that's happening. There was just a real uh, idea that, that all of the senses should be engaged as we're getting together as a community to to remind ourselves and and of, of what God's done for us and and uh, respond to that and so uh, the Crowder band the David Crowder band was really nothing more than these guys that were there in school with me as well we're just the church band and and after as I said we started writing original music the songs started leaking out um, because of being a bunch of college kids, quite a, a, a transient population. You know, they're going home for Christmas break or, or over the summer, and, and the songs were going with. They were taking the songs with them, and um, and so we started getting phone calls. Hey, can you guys? Can your band? And we don't even have a name. It was like we don't even know how to vet this. You know, it's like, can you do this? A little retreat that we're we got a college retreat coming up. Can y'all come play? We're like, sure, we can come play. And so we became the David Crowder band because no one we didn't have a name or anything, and they started just calling us the David Crowder band. And, and um, so we chased that around for a while before we even had um, made a record or anything. And it was, I guess it was 98 when um, a, fr a friend of mine now, who's been a part of this whole musical journey, Louis Giglio, who's my pastor in Atlanta, um, I was with him and um, was, was a, uh, they had, had a couple of songs, I believe on a, a live recording that they had done of a passion conference down in Austin. And that began a relationship with him and also the label that we're partners with, Capital uh, CMG, uh, started a relationship with them and they've been a part of the whole journey uh, that's been my music. And in 98, Louis sat down and said some very pivotal words. And he, as I'm talking about the church this and how the songs are going this way and that way, and he's like, man, you know these aren't your songs, right? And that word right there, that, or that, those, that phrase right there, put a responsibility, a weight and a responsibility. Um, and I'm like, well, we're a bunch of college kids. We don't have any money to, or resources to go make a record or anything like that. We're just you know, lucky we're doing, you know, pulling off church every week. And he's like, well, me and my wife would like to pay for your church to go, make a, to go document these songs. So we went down to Austin and made a record. And, and um, that's been what I've been doing ever since is Louie and Shelly have been a part of the whole journey. And, they're still helping me make records today, and I, I, I love it. But we were just the church band that we had some friends that saw something and what was happening in the four walls of that little church in Waco and thought, maybe this is meant for people who are outside of the four walls of this little church in Waco. And, and that's, where the journey is, that's where the journey really began of, of a larger platform. Over the next 16 years, the David Crowder Band toured the world and shared their music with millions of people. David describes how, in 2012, the band decided to part ways on the heels of their last hit record together. If you're a smart band, you try to build what they call momentum. You try to get some momentum going, people listening to what you're doing, paying attention to what you're doing, attached to the music, rooting for you as a band, being fans of you as a band. 
and and pretty much right at the time we're peaking on momentum we dropped the last record we put out was number two in the world it was like Adele and then the David Crowder band which was a and our record was a Requiem Mass it was like 34 tracks two discs worth of a, a Catholic Mass and it's number two on the planet and we had already tapped out and said, you know, this is the last record we're going to do. Um, we've got other things that are ahead of us. Um, for me, I, my, my wife had been our manager and, and I mean, she just, she'd been like road managing with us, booking stuff early on. She had just been, you wouldn't know my name. I wouldn't be sitting here if it not for her working her rear off. And it turns out keeping up with a bunch of dudes that can't find their keys is not a dream job. So she, it was time for her to get a life. That, that was fulfilling and exciting to her. So she went back to school and wound up um, getting a design degree. She transferred all her business stuff and got a design degree. Now she's killing it doing design stuff. I've never seen her happier. So it was that it was every one of us as a band member have a story like that where it was just, that was a season and, and life had developed in a way that we made, we made choices that didn't make sense on pay. It's not what, you, if you didn't have the economy of faith it makes no sense because in the economy that we were breathing in and out every day, we were right where you sh you've worked really hard to be. Um, but what our values were were, uh, I care. I would I would rather my wife uh, be next to me, <laughs> and thrilled and happy and full of life, than um, you know have a have a number one record. Uh, you know I, I'm I feel like it's utilitarian. Music is utilitarian for me. It's useful in the sense that I I feel gifted to allow music to help us say things back to God. As a band, we kept our hands open, and sometimes God will take things away from them, and sometimes he'll put, put things in them. And as long as your hands are open, you're not hanging on too tightly to anything. It's a very satisfying way to live, but it's a different value system and a different economy than I think we're used to. So that would be my proudest moment, is how, how the band ended and what we, what we chose to value. Even though the David Crowder asterisk band was uh, uh, just our basically our church band we did once we once we locked in that those were my people I mean we it was it was us the, the whole it was a band and so when when you're listening to the records it was six people in conversation you know that was I think what added to the diversity and the, the beauty of what I can say was that 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 time musically um, because you had everybody had a voice and everybody was speaking into it and the music um, didn't look like a or sound like any one of us. It was it was a very much a collective, and so then on the first my first solo endeavor is Crowder, uh, Neon Steeple was the first record, and I'm like, oh man, now it's going to be all my fault. There's no blame displacement because also there's safety in numbers, and so now we can't spread the blame around. Well, I know he was the one that really liked that part, you know. I didn't even like it, you know. It's, no, it's just my fault. If it wouldn't have been so much fun, it could have probably been a little terrifying. Um, but I just, the people that, that were on the record and I was making the music with, and that it was such a new experience to just chase whatever was in the air personally. Like if I, if, uh, if I wanted this person to play or that person to play or go right with this person or that person, we were really insular in the previous entity. And, and uh, just because we were carrying a, a, a whole church community with us, you know, trying to say something on behalf of our whole community there in Waco, Texas. And, and here it was like, I'm, it got to be a little broader and um, I got to explore a lot of the mu sides of music I hadn't got to explore before. And it was just so invigorating and fun 
that I don't think I had enough time to get super terrified until the moment when the mass streams back and you've signed off on it and now it's out the door and you're like, uh-oh, arrow's off the string, this could be tragic, but the world's gonna get a little taste of whatever it is this Crowder thing is. So there's a confidence that comes in knowing you're where you're supposed to be and following, you know, I've always, I'm not a good, uh, I don't have goals, I'm not a good list maker, I don't make lists, I don't have good goals, but I, I, I've always prayed for light enough for the next step and the courage to take it and I felt like I know I'm supposed to take this step and whatever comes next, I don't know, but I felt really wonderful making the thing and it's been wonderful um, getting to play and be around a lot of people that stretched me as a, as a creator and I learned tons in just a short amount of time making that first record. So I was thrilled and, and uh, not a lot of trepidation in it. David discusses a new season as a solo artist and how working on his new record, I Know a Ghost, brought him new understanding about the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Most of the time, most of our day is not reminding us that you're living and breathing in the, in the sacred space of God's very presence. Um, and so it's tough to, to uh, remind ourselves of that. And music is amazing at doing that. And so that's what I've been trying to do with the, the this, this last record, I Know a Ghost, really the whole, I, I knew I was going, I wanted it to be really focused on, on the Holy Spirit and how our, he, He's interconnected to our living and breathing and our, that there's a communion that's afoot all the time uh, in those that are in relationship. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to do that, but I, I didn't have, I didn't have all the colloquial words. I had a lot of church words for it. And then all of a sudden I was trying to fall asleep and this dawned on me and I've never heard, I've never heard this, the Holy Ghost talked about this before, but I was thinking about um, the Last Supper and how Jesus sit with his pals and he's like, hey, I'm going to go away for real. I'm not, I, you're not hearing me. I've been telling you, but I'm about to go away for real. And, but don't panic because I'm going to leave, uh, I'm going to leave my ghost with you. And I thought, that's terrifying. It, all of a sudden I thought, because we didn't do, growing up, we didn't do like Halloween. We did like fall festival. You know, it's like ghost stuff. We don't talk about that. I've never once thought about how that's a scary story to tell. When the veil tore, now suddenly this, this, this spirit of God that was contained and only the holiest of us could go be near and might not make it back out alive is everywhere. And if we lived with that reverent thing in our chest, that, that, that terror, that's a holy terror, I wonder if it would change stuff. So that was really the impetus for me to start understanding some of the language I could use on this record to keep singing about the, you know, the Spirit of God in a way that was um, reverent uh, and at the same time felt, felt human enough. And so I, I was trying to find language that felt conversational outside of the church and inside of the church. Because also the Holy Spirit's really difficult to talk about inside of the church, depending on where your background is. I grew up in First Baptist Church, Texarkana, Texas, and then my parents would take us, me and my brother, to wherever in their language the Spirit was moving. That meant the music was gonna be more energetic and people run around and have tambourines. That's what that meant. And so we have a hard time describing where the Spirit is at work, uh, even inside the church. And so. I wanted to find language on this record that um, that that helped uh, me uh, have have better words to sing uh, when it comes to 
to that aspect of God. So I would say the difficulty in the writing process was just getting a handle and an understanding on that. And then once, once that was sitting inside of me, man, I couldn't stop writing. That's why there's 16 songs. There weren't any songs that were difficult. They all were just, it was just like coming. And uh, we couldn't turn the faucet off almost. So um, I have had more fun writing on this record than any I've had, which is great to be able to say after having done it for so long, I had so much fun on this one. And um, so I'm wound up about the songs and, and, uh, and about the approach we had to, to making the record. There's moments in my life where I can identify with that doubt, where I can identify with, with the, the feeling of isolation and, and the, 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 the silence when, when, when you know, I, I beg heaven for something and I can't hear anything back. And, and um, I think one of the, the, the best, the, there's two places that I, I point to for myself when, when, when doubt's a killer, is I look backwards I can see that God has, in my own life, that God has come through over and over and over. I see all the miracles that have transpired uh, in my life. And as well, I can see in the community of believers that I'm a part of, which I think is absolutely essential, when you look at the family and you see, um, yeah, God's come, He'll come through. Even when, I'm in, when, I, when I have doubt, I am centered and surrounded by um, community of saints in this time and space that I can say came through for you know Jojo over there I saw what he was in and man I couldn't see a way out look at what God's done and look where he is now I, and and I love it in the Psalms God talks about this and he says I've built a monument to my faithfulness and it's my very people and that's amazing to think that a monument to God's faithfulness is the work that he's done among us as a community of believers is pretty spectacular every so often there are these these things that pop up that, that uh, like it might, for me, I'm in, in music, so there'll be a song that all of a sudden just like the church is singing all over the world. You know, a, you know, a couple times a year or once every couple of years, there's just a song that, that goes around the world. That there's just a breath in it. There's a thing that just elevates it. And, and I cannot count how many people are like, bro, have you, have you read Jesus Calling? You know, to the point where I'm like, no, I haven't, fine. You know, this is an absolutely special thing that uh, uh, it's, just, it's just beautiful to be near. And, and I praise God when things like this happen in the church and we have a, we have, there's a collective synergy and a, 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 an energy that, that changes what the church is. And it's just amazing that it's been through something as simple as, as being able to hear the voice of our Savior uh, speaking to us. It's just, that's gorgeous, that's gorgeous. Um, so this is, I'm, I'm going to uh, read from November the 14th, and um, it's, here's, it says this. It says, bask in the luxury of being fully understood and unconditionally loved, there to see yourself as I see you, radiant in my righteousness, cleansed by my blood. I view you as one I created you to be, the one you will be in actuality when heaven becomes your home. It is my life within you that is changing you from glory to glory. Rejoice in this mysterious miracle. Thank me continually for the amazing gift of my spirit within you. Try to depend on the help of the spirit as you go through this day of life. Pause briefly from time to time as you can consult with this Holy One inside of you. He will not force you to do his bidding, but he will guide you as you give him space in your life. Walk along this wondrous way of collaboration with my spirit. And scripture, first scripture is Psalm 
34.5 and it says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the New King James Version is, uh, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then finally, in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I love this because I've, I've, I've uh, been able to be talking about the Holy Spirit, having made this record, I Know a Ghost, and, and um, it's incredible to have, have this constant companion that you're if you if you're able to take the time and this is the hard part I think is pausing briefly time to time to re to recenter and and become aware that we are in the very presence of God and that his spirit is active around us and through us and in us and so every room you enter is sacred space every communication every time you're in in, in conversation with someone there's it's a sacred moment um, and the, the space between the mouth and the ear is sacred space and to be able to speak uh, life and to explain out loud to, to yourself and to others that you're made in the very image of God and He's created you so unique that there's nobody else on the planet like you and you're equipped to carry this, this very story and into every conversation and space that you, you are you're finding yourself into. It's just, this couldn't be a more fitting um, passage and devotion for me, for sure. To learn more about Crowder's latest album, I Know a Ghost, visit CrowderMusic.com. Stay tuned to hear our next guest, Christian music artist Francesca Battistelli, after this brief message about a special offer from Jesus Calling. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Are you looking for a way to keep track of your daily prayers along with Jesus Calling? The Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar goes right along with your daily readings from Jesus Calling. Each day begins with a guided reflection, followed by a space for you to fill in your prayers of thanksgiving and special requests. You can get your free Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar by visiting JesusCalling.com offers. 
Visit JesusCalling.com slash offers to download your free family prayer calendar today. Our next guest is Christian music artist Francesca Battistelli. Francesca has been making records for more than a decade, all the while touring and raising her young family. Francesca remembers how her parents instilled within her a love for Broadway and the arts. Now she strives to be an example for her own children, and she's thankful for how God works in her life and for the process of inspiration for her latest album, Own It. I'm Francesca Battistelli, and I am a wife and a mom and an artist. Um, just released my fourth studio album, and we live in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, yeah, just love getting to do ministry and write songs and um, share share them with the world. And uh, you know, being a mom who works is is a unique thing, um, but it's been an amazing amazing journey, just raising my kids as I've uh, been in ministry. So I was born in New York, in Manhattan. My parents both come from the Broadway musical theater world. But when I was one or two, um, they really felt they were new Christians. And they really, really felt like the Lord was calling them out of that whole world and out of New York. And so we moved not far away um, to New Jersey and they just left the business completely behind and, you know, we're going to have a big family and ended up only being able to have me. And so because their background is so arts and music and theater and so amazing, they exposed me to so much great music and theater and art and ballet, you know, from the time I was tiny. And it's just been, it was kind of my, my lot in life to do something in the arts because I've always loved it. And I did a lot of ballet. I danced ballet very seriously for about 10 years. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. But in the midst of that, I remember being little and going to see um, the Secret Garden on Broadway <clears throat> back when it was, you know, still new. And I just remember being incredibly like, I don't even know the word, just overcome by the whole experience. You know, I think live theater is very um, moving. And I, I mean, I can put myself in the car on the way home. Like I remember the feeling of driving back to New Jersey and with my parents and just thinking like, that is what I want to do. I want to make, I want to feel that way. And I want to make people feel that way. You know, just that, like all these emotions and all this awe of what was going on. And um, so I think from that point on as a really young child, I knew that something to do with with performing arts was what I was made to do and I love to sing and um, I love to act and I love to write and I love to dance and so I didn't know what it was going to look like and it you know different seasons I think um, I was for sure that it was going to be different than this but the Lord doesn't waste anything and he has a way of using all your experiences you know um, for his plan and his purposes and um, I'm so glad I ended up here. I'm a one on the Enneagram, and so I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist and can not do something. You know, I can let that fear of not doing it perfectly stop me from doing it at all. And that's something I'm working on just personally trying to realize that sometimes done is better than perfect. Lord wants that willingness from us too, you know, to just say, it's not about me. If you want me to do this, let's go for it and see what happens. <laughs> After almost five years without a new record, Francesca just released her latest album called Own It. 
She tells us why she chose to release the album now and why she's thankful God led her to a new record she didn't even know she wanted to write. It's been four and a half years since the last record came out, which is crazy, especially in this, you know, day and age. But we had we've had two babies since we started writing this album. And so we you know, really feel like obviously the Lord was behind the time of this because we would have done it differently. But I'm so glad it happened the way it did because I really thought that I was supposed to write a worship record. I thought that was the next logical step and what I really wanted to do. And that's sort of the path we started walking down. And then we prayed over every single song and the Lord kept giving us like these pop songs. We're like, okay, what what am I supposed to do with this? Um, But they were amazing and powerful and like they were becoming my favorite songs. And so we probably wrote 40 songs for this record and had to pick. Um, And so many of the ones that made the record were, you know, from the last six months, ones that would not have been written if we had released the record in our timing. And so to me, that's just so the Lord. Um, And I would love to still make a worship record someday. Um, But this is, timing wise, this is just, it's so right. It's my story. It's the snapshot of where I am in this season, um, of, of really trying to, um, own it and really trying to walk in all that God's called me to, not just some of it, not just sort of like reluctantly going along with what he has, but saying, okay, you've put me here. I'm going to confidently and boldly walk in authority that I'm supposed to be here. And, you know, be who I am and not try to, I don't know, be somebody else. There's just a lot of personal growth has happened for me in the last year and a half. And so this record is such a reflection of that. So the breakup song is one that I wrote with my buddy, David Garcia and Bart Mellard from Mercy Me. And we sort of jokingly called it breakup song forever. And then to me, it was like, well, that's what it's called. Like we're calling it that. <laughs> Um, and it was not when we wrote it, I loved it, but I never expected it to be the first single. Um, but it just kind of became the obvious choice. I don't know how we were just all on the same page. Um, I felt like the message was really needed and the way that people have responded to it has, has said that that's true. for me, that song is, is so important. Fear is such a universal struggle. And, um, it was for me inspired by my mom, who's always been this very steady person, but about three years ago, started struggling with, um, anxiety and panic attacks. And it was just debilitating and Lord has delivered her from so much of that. And she's, you know, so much better. But, um, when we wrote the song, she was right smack dab in the middle of it. And I, just wanted to give her a tool, you know, something that she could play in her car when she was starting to feel that way. And, um, and it has been that for her and the stories I've heard, it's been that for others. And I'm so grateful. I mean, it's that for me, I have to speak those words out over myself, um, to remind me that I, I am, you know, 
I'm not owned by fear. As Francesca raises her family and records her music, she's thankful for resources like Jesus Calling that encourage her and refresh her spirit. I probably have three or four copies strewn about my house, but um, I remember getting my first copy. I don't know where it came from. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it's like whenever I'm, you know, reading it in a season of reading it, it's like, how every day is this exactly what I needed to hear? Conviction or encouragement or just, yep, that's true. Okay, Lord, thank you for that reminder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I love it love it so much and just so thankful for such a beautiful resource you know uh, there's a lot of devotions out there but something special about it I think that the biggest thing that I've learned in the past 10 years is that what it looks like right now is not what it always has to look like and that used to before I really figured that out it would be difficult for me and I would get you know really overwhelmed I haven't known what it's like to parent any of my children without working and touring and being on the road. It wasn't until about a year and a half ago when we found out we were pregnant with our fourth that we decided, okay, we're just we're just not gonna tour for a long time. I mean, in our industry, people say, oh, it's so great. I've got such a huge break. We're home for three weeks. And like, we used to think that was, oh my gosh, so amazing. And the rest of your life, you're just constantly on the road, back and forth, back and forth with your kids. and we sort of just had to say no we're not we can't we can't physically do that um right now and we're we're okay with that like i have an album to make i have a child to birth like there's a lot going on <laughs> we're just choosing not to be on the road 150 days a year and um it was a really really good thing for us to step back um because before that we were just kind of you know, on the hamster wheel. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and it worked for us for many years. But when it stopped working, we had to be able, you know, to, to be able to step back and look at it. And I think that's what I've I've learned is like, it's something's not going to work in every season. That doesn't make it wrong. And it, you know, for I have friends who are right in the midst of that season with multiple kids touring all the time. And it's not that they're wrong and I'm right. It's just that's not where we need to be right now, you know? And so um, it's that balancing act and constantly re-examining. And actually, I don't even like the word balance because that implies that there's like a, a perfect <laughs> a perfect balance. And it's not, it's, it's more of a juggle. You know, you're just sort of keeping the balls in the air and keeping your hands open to what the Lord may have. To learn more about Francesca's new album, Own It, please visit francescabattistelli.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with motivational speaker and former NFL football player, Devin Still. When we sat down with Devin, he talked to us about his retirement from football and the struggle he faced to reconcile who he was to himself and the people around him. When you're an NFL player, a lot comes with it. Um, a lot of responsibility. Uh, a lot of notoriety. You're put on a, a pedestal by people in society. And when you lose that, sometimes you wonder who you are. You struggle with your identity. You wonder if the people around you really loved you for you or they loved you for the position that you were in. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button.
While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.